Vera Payne. Many people are asking this particular question, what is cryptocurrency? Co-founder and CEO of Digital Mint, Jonathan Solomon, is going to join me to answer this question and explain the ins and outs of NFTs. Thanks for joining me, Jonathan. Happy to be here, Mason. Tell me, what exactly is cryptocurrency? Cryptocurrency is, for the first time, the world is able to have an asset that you can send or receive from somebody else, and it is permanently out of the sender's possession. It's basically email for money in a lot of ways. So it allows money to move efficiently. It gives people another option to, to pay their bills, to pay their families over traditional financial services. It's really the internet of money. Okay, so I get a bit confused because you hear the catch-all word cryptocurrency, but apparently there's more than one. How many types of cryptocurrencies are there? So technically speaking, there's tens of thousands of cryptocurrencies at this point, although there's only a handful of them that people are really interested in that anyone is paying attention to. And that if you were to go online and try to buy some that you might be interested in buying or investing into, most of them have no value at all. But about 60% of all the value in cryptocurrencies is concentrated in Bitcoin and Ethereum. Okay. What about Dogecoin? And did I say it right? You did. At least that's the way I say it. I hear a lot of different ways, but Doge is, you know, the way I always have pronounced it. But anyway, Doge is interesting. Doge was originally a fork of another cryptocurrency called Litecoin, which Litecoin was a fork of Bitcoin. And the interesting thing about Doge is it was really started as a meme coin. It was started as a joke. I believe the creator even has stated that, you know, I'd say he's not really a part of things anymore. And this was all meant to be, you know, a big uh, prank uh, on the rest of the world. But, it, you know, the internet uh, gave it its own life. It, it, it took a life of its own. That's kind of the beauty with open source technology is that people can get interested in something and run with it. And, you know, all it took was a few tweets from Elon Musk to talk about it. And now it's become a craze. People are really investing and buying in Dogecoin. Yeah, I hear it's to the moon. Dogecoin to the moon. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> So what's more important, though, because I also hear like the word blockchain, but what's more important, the blockchain or the cryptocurrency? So blockchain is the technology that really allows cryptocurrency to be a thing. You can have a blockchain without a cryptocurrency, but you really can't have a cryptocurrency without a blockchain. Some might claim, oh, they don't have a blockchain, but they have some kind of ledger. It's the same kind of concept. You know, crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, these are the first killer apps, use cases for blockchain. And really, it's just this public ledger. Think of a shared spreadsheet that everybody can see, except you don't know necessarily who's editing it. It's like an anonymous giant spreadsheet. And you can see who's sending money to who and money going in, money going out. But it's pseudo-anonymous in the sense that you don't know who these participants are. But what this allows you to do is send value to anyone anywhere across the world. And they can trust that transaction because they can see on this blockchain ledger that, okay, somebody paid me. And now they have that money. It, unlike a credit card, there's no chargeback. So once you send cryptocurrency... You know, I used to say there's no crying in Bitcoin because if you make a mistake, if you get one of those numbers or letters wrong in a, in a cryptocurrency address and send it, there's no way to get it back. But what that allows you to do is pay somebody across the world and not worry about that transaction being reversed. Very powerful concept, and it doesn't involve you know getting a bank or a you know a wire transfer service involved. There's no intermediary party. See, that sounds really cool, but then I think of the mistakes and I also think of the of crimes. Wouldn't it be safer to be insured, like to have some kind of crypto FDIC? I think that, you know, those concepts are, are, are definitely regulators, governments are taking a look at that. I think that what they are saying is that 
institutions like my own company, Digital Mint, you know, we're beholden to a whole lot of rules and regulations on the state and federal level. And as long as the, you know, the bigger actors, the companies in this space are following a set of established rules, you know, that can mitigate some of the scarier aspects, the crime aspects of this. And at the end of the day, as we've seen, you know, there have been a lot of bad criminals who have gotten punished because of this blockchain ledger. I mean, it's kind of stupid to commit a crime on the blockchain. Everybody can see it. That is kind of funny. It's like a glass house. We all can see what's going on inside. <laughs> exactly. You can follow those breadcrumb trails. And again, it's pseudo-anonymous. You see, you know, Jonathan sent Ethereum to Mason. You don't see our names on there. But if you go to the companies and say, you know, this Bitcoin or this Ethereum looks like it's got purchased on, say, Coinbase or Kraken, federal and, and state investigators have gotten really astute and have figured out this technology. And they know who, you know, how to ask the right question, keep the bad guys at bay. So how do you get any of these cryptocurrencies? I mean, I, I go on eBay and I see these mining rigs. Is that how you get cryptocurrency? So I wouldn't recommend anyone buy a Bitcoin miner on eBay, unless you're just interested to learn how a cryptocurrency miner might work. In that case, fine. Although make sure you're doing it from a verified seller because there's a lot of uh, scammers out there. But mining Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency is one of the many ways you can get it. You can also go on a licensed exchange, Coinbase, Kraken. You can go to a digital mint uh, ATM kiosk and buy Bitcoin there. But as far as mining goes, mining is essentially the process by which new cryptocurrencies are created. And so right now, it's not competitive for a private individual to mine Bitcoin or crypto. I was doing it in 2013. It was possible to do it because you weren't competing for a piece of the pie with massive data centers in China and around the rest of the world that are now uh, mining cryptocurrency. So it's a little bit harder for an individual to get into it. But otherwise, you're better off just going on a website or a licensed exchange or going to a digital mint kiosk and buying some yourself that way. So how is the value of cryptocurrency even determined? Is it based on market or is a lot of them on like the stock market? The value of cryptocurrency is determined purely by market forces, kind of like the stock market, it's supply and demand. So you have, you know, groups of buyers, groups of sellers, that pool of who's interested in buying. It used to be, you know, a bunch of uh, nerds like myself back in 2013 who were just trading with, you know, a handful of people. And now you have major financial institutions operating major trading pools, uh, getting in on the action. There's futures, there's derivatives, there's a whole financial services market that has developed around trading this. As far as the Determining the price, if these markets, just like the stock market, it's going to determine, you know, there's a bid ask price and then there's a spot price and that's the market price of Bitcoin. Now, I know we spoke earlier about blockchains. When it comes to NFTs, is that using blockchain technology? Yeah, NFTs are... I would say the second killer app. If, if currency was the first killer app usage of blockchain technology, NFTs are definitely uh, the second. And what's interesting about you know NFTs is that if you're buying a cryptocurrency, if you're buying Bitcoin, you're really kind of betting on that coin's technology providing increased value over time. That you know more people, for example, are going to be using Bitcoin, and the fact that more people are using Bitcoin is going to make it more valuable. You have this network effect. With NFTs, you're not really betting on the value of a protocol or a system becoming more value and people wanting to own a part of it you know, as, as a bet on the future. With NFTs, you're really betting on the value of a particular collectible or artwork. And some people don't even buy them for invest too. In fact, they might buy it because they're interested in a particular artist 
creator, musician, a video game. And in that case, you're not betting on a token that millions of people can hold. You're betting on the value of almost a, of a collectible, of a piece of art. Okay, so I'm trying to figure this out for myself. Is an NFT kind of like a song master? You own the masters of this particular song, even though everybody can listen to it. I don't understand why buy an NFT if the stuff is still out on the internet. Unless, can you pull it off the internet? That's a really good point. And some NFTs are designed different ways. There's a number of different marketplaces out there where people are trading these NFTs. The NFTs themselves are built on various platforms. Uh, some are built on the Ethereum blockchain. There are some built on a WAX blockchain, Flow blockchain. So there's different different technologies out there right now that are competing to kind of be, you know, what's the standard for these? As far as like, you know, do we, what do you own? Well, that's a good question. Do you just own a, a number <laughs> on a spreadsheet? And some people take that position. That's really all it is. Some say, no, you know, I've owned this unique piece of artwork. Sure, anybody can can go download it. Anybody can go visit the Mona Lisa, but it's still at the Louvre. And with an NFT, you know, you're basically telling the world, well, I'm the owner of this. And if it's still on the internet, well, okay, it's on loan. You can all view it, but I own it. And if I want to commercialize it, maybe I could charge people to view it in the future. But I think those things remain to be seen. There's different types of NFTs. Do you think NFTs will stand the test of time? Or is this kind of like a meme in itself? It's going to die down in a year? I think that there are certain types of NFTs that people will be more interested in. If they represent something in the real world, imagine concert tickets as an NFT. You know, you can sell uh, ticket stubs or your ticket to anybody. I mean, you could go stand outside Wrigley Field before a concert and, and sell that ticket. And then once it's out of your possession, you know, you can no longer go to that concert. You've given up your right to go. An NFT is basically a digital representation of a physical thing like a ticket. So I think there's ways that this could be monetized. One of the more other more interesting uh, use cases of NFTs is in-game items. So, you know, if you win that special sword in World of Warcraft or a gun in Fortnite, imagine being able to sell that on eBay, sell that on Craigslist, give it to your friend without having to have, you know, the companies Blizzard or uh, Epic in Fortnite's case have to get involved. And I think as these open standards develop, corporations, you know, they're probably, you know, they make a lot of money on these markets, on their own internal marketplaces, their own sandboxes that they own. But I think pressure from consumers will say, hey, I want the ability to to sell that sword that I worked so hard to to grind out and earn in this game. And that's a really cool use case too. There's also plots of land in VR um, uh, territory. There's one that comes to mind is called Somnium Space VR, where you can actually buy a, you know, a piece of virtual land and then log in via virtual reality and, and explore that. And people are building and interacting in, in these virtual spaces. I mean, you're really, it enables payments to become pixels. And so, you know, that NFT allows you to stake your claim. That's your, that's your flag and say, no, this is mine. Nobody else can enter this or no one else owns this but me. Now, the past few, I think, weeks, maybe even a few months, people have been discussing, is cryptocurrency, NFTs, are these bad for the environment? Could you explain that? That's a really good question. So I, I think where that comes from, and I was talking before about you know cryptocurrency mining, and I got into it back in 2013, and I had in my in my little apartment this mining rig that was chugging away all day. It made the room really hot. I didn't have to run my heat in the wintertime. 
and uh, it uses a, a decent amount of electricity too. And you can actually go online and you can see how much the entire Bitcoin network, how many watts of electricity are being used. And you can you know, look at Ethereum in the same way. So the fact that you know, it's really easy to point to these numbers, you can start then comparing them and say, oh my gosh, it looks like Bitcoin has used the same amount of electricity as a small country. And I think that it's good to be concerned about some of these environmental issues popping up. You know, we, climate change is a real thing. However, where is this electricity coming from? I, one of the things that Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies that, that rely on this type of mining to function are doing is they're exploring a lot of renewables or they're using electricity in places where it would already you know, be going to ground wasted. Starting a nuclear, you know, you can't turn a nuclear plant or a coal plant on and off like a light switch. So, you know, we're all using our air conditioners in the day or something. And then at nighttime, you know, there's a re release or reduced demand. But hydroelectric water is still flowing. Coal is still burning. So if that usage drops, what do you do with this surplus of electricity that occurs when you have these changes on the grid? Well, you can have smart grid solutions where you put a mining rig, you know, on in, into these facilities, these power facilities, and they can use this extra electricity to mine Bitcoin. Sure, is electricity being used and is it being tabulated? Yeah, but I don't know if it's fair to compare Bitcoin's environmental impact you know, versus other financial services because you don't have that level of transparency. I can't say, hey, Visa, MasterCard, Chase Bank, Bank of America, show me how much electricity you're using. You know, How much is Amazon or Google use? Those companies don't, don't release those sorts of things as far as I know. But with Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency, you can see that live power usage. And so that gives, you know, it makes it an easy target to say, oh, my gosh, the environmental impact. I think it's something to keep an eye on. But I also think I have a lot of optimism about some of these really cool solutions that are actually driving innovation in, in renewables and more efficient use of electricity. I know personally, I always considered cryptocurrency to be like this online thing that's over there away from me. But recently I went to a <laughs> restaurant and there was an ATM inside. And it was for Bitcoin. What like I didn't know it was that mainstream where we're starting to see ATMs. What are these things? Do they work like regular sure. ATMs? People refer to them as Bitcoin ATMs because it's familiar to what you would call a regular ATM, right? You often see them right next to the old legacy ATMs. And what they really enable you to do is take your own cash put it into this machine, and now you have a digital asset sent to your phone, your wallet, wh whatever you're using to store that, that cryptocurrency. And, you know, uh, my business, Digital Mint, we operate over a thousand locations across the country where you can walk in and either walk up to a kiosk or interact with a human being at a counter and buy Bitcoin that way, just like you might buy a prepaid card or a gift card. And, you know, there's demand to do it this way. Sometimes when you're buying cryptocurrency online from some of the online websites, people aren't comfortable handing over, you know, their, their payment information. Now, we all have to ask for IDs, that, you know, that financial services law in the United States, but that doesn't mean I want to give my bank account info over the internet. So a lot of folks, they love to go to these, these physical kiosks that, you know, my company operates, they're all over the country now, really, and buy their, their cryptocurrency that way. I know with ATMs, they'll have those skimming card scam. Uh, is that something you have to worry about with these kiosks or ATMs? Yeah, a physical security of, of a kiosk is always, you know, something that you want to keep in mind. You know, you hear about these horror stories, gas stations, people swiping their, their credit cards and somebody overlaid a skimmer, like, like you just mentioned, over the card slot. We're cash only. So the way our business works is that you show up with your ID and 
some cash for the amount of Bitcoin that you want to buy. And then once we're able to verify your identity, it happens, you know, pretty much right while you're standing in front of that ATM machine. And then it's cash only that you're feeding into the machine. So we don't have that issue with, with the card skimming, although, you know, generally speaking, anywhere that you might be, you know, handing over a card, you want to be mindful of that. One of the cool things about Bitcoin is, you know, it's not it's contactless, it's purely digital. So you don't have to swipe a plastic card to use cryptocurrency. Now, the reason I bring up security is because recently the pipeline hacking, and that's pretty scary. That's a huge thing to get hacked into. And then to sit there and, and know they had to pay a ransom in Bitcoin. Is it really that safe or was this kind of like a fluke? You know, just the fact that these terrible things happen, that, you know, a foreign actor, I guess that's what it was, was able to hack this system and then demanded their ransom in Bitcoin before it would be let online again and unlock their files. I don't think that necessarily speaks, you know, poorly of Bitcoin. It does show that it's a very useful form of of money and a way to transfer value, and which is why, you know, a lot of Fortune 500 companies are, are stocking up on it, but it's also one of the reasons that, you know, criminals are attracted to it as well. And again, illustrating the point I made before about don't commit a crime out in the open on the blockchain. And if you have been watching the news lately, I think it was yesterday or the day before, the FBI was able to unlock those coins somehow that ransom was demanded for that pipeline. And so they were able to follow that breadcrumb trail and eventually found somebody, I'm guessing, I don't, I don't know any details here, who had access to those coins, was able to seize it, just like you might seize a drug dealer's Ferraris. The open nature of the blockchain allowed that investigation to happen. If it wasn't, if Bitcoin wasn't a thing, you know, would these cyber breaches still happen? Yeah, but instead of demanding coin, they might be demanding other, other things that aren't so open, aren't so transparent, and, and don't allow law enforcement to do their job as easily. So I, I'm not going to, I'm going to be careful to blame, you know, this incredible technology we have that's opening up uh, the financial system to, you know, billions of people around the world who might not have had access. You know, ransomware is a bad symptom of the fact that Bitcoin's a great way to pay for things. But I don't think that, you know, it's a reason to be apprehensive about this, this technology. Yeah, it's actually a really cool concept. I like it a lot, but it's just the thought that you want to make sure that there's some kind of accountability if you lost something, especially if it wasn't your fault. In one case, yeah, I sent you Bitcoin, and in another, somebody's trying to extort money out of me. I kind of feel like I want some kind of insurance. I think where that insurance comes from, you know, if you're looking to get involved with Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency, really, I mean, it's really important to know, you know where you're getting it from, how you're storing it. You know, I'm sure I could go on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace right now and type in Bitcoin or NFT and find a lot of fake sellers selling something, telling somebody who's not familiar with this, hey, I just sent you Bitcoin. And, you know, they get a gold coin in the mail or a fake gold coin in the mail, things like that. So as far as insurance goes, there are institutions online where you can store crypto with them and they do have some sort of insurance policy. So if they were to get hacked, you would know your crypto uh, would be safe. There's also a lot of ways too, if, you know, when you go down the rabbit hole here of protecting your own crypto, there's a way that you can generate a wallet address. This kind of blew my mind the first time that I had to wrap my head around this concept is you can generate a wallet address on a computer that's never been connected to the internet. You can, and then you can send money to this wallet and so that you can be sure that it's secure because it's on a computer that's never been, you know, possibly compromised. So th those are the sorts of like interesting things that are possible with Bitcoin where, you know, in, in many ways it, it can be more secure than other assets. Now, do you think cryptocurrency is going to replace our current currency system in the future? 
I don't think so. I think if anything, it's at least in our lifetimes, it's going to enable it. It's going to allow people to to do more interesting things with money. It's going to allow you to transfer existing government-backed currencies much more quickly and efficiently. But I don't think that you're going to, you know, uh, be replacing, you know, your paying paying for your Starbucks in the morning with Bitcoin. Can you do that now? Yeah, that's pretty pretty cool. And you know, there are people who have Bitcoin who want to do that, who want to be able to, to purchase it. Uh, years ago, I used to uh, work at a company called Coinbase. And uh, back in before we started this company, so 2014, my job was to go out and talk to merchants and say, do you want to accept Bitcoin? And it was a much tougher sell then than it is now. But I think, you know, merchants, they want to offer you to pay whatever way you want. Do you want to pay them with Venmo? Do you want to pay them with Bitcoin? Do you want to take a picture of a check and send it? <laughs> who, who knows? But it's really an alternative. It's an option. It's going to enable faster transfer of money around the world. Is it going to replace the U.S. dollar? No. But if I can mention the fact that a lot of countries are recognizing Bitcoin. El Salvador just a few days ago said that you can pay your taxes with Bitcoin there now. It's, it's legal tender. You have U.S., China, Canada, heard a lot of countries, their central banks are looking into what's called centrally backed digital currency, CBDC. And the idea there is that you have basically a digital dollar bill that you can pass around, and it works similar to Bitcoin. The difference would be unlike uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum, where there's, there's this open ledger that no one really owns or controls, there's no administrator. The U.S. government would have you know, admin mode access to this and say, okay, you know, we need to be able to reverse transactions. We need to make sure that bad guys aren't using this. The way that banks you know, regulate existing transactions in the dollar. So that's coming, but I, my strong belief is that all of these things will continue to coexist. And, you know, there's always going to be uh, use cases where you're going to want to use the, the good old greenback. And there's going to be use cases where you're going to want to continue to invest or buy cryptocurrencies or use them to send money around the world or pay for things. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you being here. And for those listening, where can they find more information about you? Well, you can visit our website, digitalmint.io. Find a place near you to, to buy cryptocurrency there. And we'd love you know, for, you, for your listeners to give us a visit or give us a call and uh, learn more. We can walk them through the experience of buying cryptocurrency with Digital Mint. This has been the Mason Vera Payne Show. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to hear more? Head to WGNRadio.com for exclusive content by Mason. Also, follow Mason on Facebook and Twitter at Mason Vera Payne. That's all one word. And don't forget to share the show with your friends.